This episode of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike is brought to you by Dream Symbols, manufacturers of handmade, hand-hammered symbols at very affordable prices. So please follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for at Dream Symbols and check them out. What's up, everyone, and welcome into episode 105 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. Now, this amazing groove that you are listening to is by an avid listener of the podcast and one of my campers, Jacob, from Denmark. After Mike and I get all caught up, we'll talk about defining greatness. What do Mike and I value in other drummers? Our featured artist this time is Mr. Chris Turner from the band Ocean's 8 Alaska. I'll be checking out a 14 by 55 Danette titanium snare drum. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Damn. Sorry, I didn't mean to yell at you right off the bat. <laughs> it was a good snap, Episode man. Episode 105. We are seven days late, but we 105. are here. 105.2 on your <laughs> FM dial. We are here. We are apologizing, and we is me. Uh, so should I explain what happened? I think so. You don't, you don't even really know what happened, right? Because I didn't. All have, I know is I got the wrong links is all I know. Yeah, well, I mean, episode 105 was going to be the intro twice. Yeah. I sent you, yeah. <laughs> so just so you guys know, if you think about it, there's really three files that make up the podcast. There's the audio of Mike and I talking to each other. That's the podcast. I have my audio. He has his. Uh, and then from me, there's the intro, the drumming, and then there's the voice intro. Well, I sent Mike the intro of the drumming, which was not me. By the way, how cool is that that we had a listener do the intro? Yeah, super cool. That was in the middle of your advance camp. Is that what that was? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So uh, he just he had mentioned that he was a huge fan, and I was like, well, if you're, you're here, do you want to do the intro tomorrow? So he, he played that and crushed it. Um, so anyways, there's the drum intro, and then there's the voice intro. And I usually uh, send Mike all three files. And I did, but... <laughs> Two of the files were the same. I sent him my voice, and I sent him my students drumming, and my students drumming. And then I got on a plane for Ireland. <laughs> you know, I could have done with anything, any other mix-off except for that. If you would have given me, like, right. no drum intro, fine. I can drop something in. No voice intro, right. I can do it. Full show, well, you don't want to hear just me sitting there for 10 minutes in silence. <laughs> I, I would love that. I would love that. You know what? I was thinking, though, if this ever happens again, which it will, we're drummers, uh, when it happens again... We should really bring back episode one so people who haven't gone in deep in the archives could just hear how, if you think we're bad at this now, you should hear us on episode one. I haven't got, I'm too scared to go back to it. So yeah, uh, there was a test episode that I think I've long since deleted. That, uh, that was, that was bad. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we were like, yeah, anyways, should we keep doing this? I don't know. No, no. <laughs> No, we're good. Uh, I do want to apologize for you guys for, uh, that missed the episode. Hopefully, you're able to go into the archives and check some stuff out. Uh, and, and the problem is, once I get to Ireland, it's not like I'm in Dublin. I'm literally out in the middle of the country with the only way I can get any internet service whatsoever is to stand on top of the router. And even then, I can maybe get one email per 20 minutes. So yeah. it's, it's a, it was a little rough. So guys, thank you so much for putting up with us. But now it is time to get into episode 105. So how has your week been, my friend? Uh, eventful, but not as fun as yours. I had food poisoning for a couple of days. That was awesome. Ooh. Yeah, that was super cool. Man. Yep, yep, yep. Nothing like uh, feeling like you're going to die for two and a half days. That's the only... <laughs> 
that's the only one out there so far in the sickness world that actually turns me into a little crying child. (laughs) I cannot deal with that one. I can deal with a cold all day long. Uh, The flu, I'm fine. You know, I get through it. Stomach pain, fine. But like, but actual food poisoning type stuff. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah, let's call it, let's call it a, a night, man. Like I, I had 40 years on this planet. We're good. Let's move on. Next, next stage. Uh, I, I, I just, yeah, I throw in the white towel. So, uh, do yeah. you know what you got it from? I mean, it had to have been, I, I went to uh, Delaware and I had some blue crabs, but mm. I've eaten blue crabs my whole life. I'm from Maryland. That's like, that's what we do, sure. but we got an all you can eat feast and there must've just been one in that mix that, you know, had, had ingested Yikes. some toxic stuff and. You know, essentially, after I got done eating, two hours later, I was like, "All right, something's not right." I feel like the food was growing in my stomach. Like, all right, this mm. is this is gonna be super fun. So I learned that you should never eat shellfish in any month that doesn't include the letter R, which essentially means all the summer months. <laughs> so when you go to the nice. beach on the east east coast, don't eat the shellfish. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great rule. That is a fantastic yeah. rule. I'm surprised I haven't heard about that one yeah. uh, living so close to San Francisco. But from now on, yeah. I'll keep that in there. Yeah. So the Aries, uh, the Aries are good, like January, February. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, September okay. through April, you're good. It's just May through okay. August. Stay away. And I think it's... The theory is that it, that's the hot, you know heavily trafficked and heavily fished time, so there's more pollutants in the water and there's fewer crabs, mm-hmm. and so you're just getting the real bottom feeders. So if it's May, stay away. Yeah, and if you're nice. going to the beach in the summer, just eat steak. <laughs> <laughs> just just bring a power bar. Come on, a couple uh, sugar snap peas and some hummus, you'll be fine. I was how be- Californian does that sound? <laughs> it was super fun, and I was really worried when I because I. You know, I, I maintained practicing a little bit throughout that, but I was like, man, I know the atrophy is going to be setting in. Like, where are my hands going to be? Where's my everything right. going to be? And I've got this clinic coming up next week. I'm like, all right. Oh, yeah. Like, can I can I at least be on my A game for, for 24 hours next week? <laughs> man, I'm, I'm so excited for you, man. I, I really, uh, not even podcast related, but just as your friend, I can't wait to hear how that goes for you. I think it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, so one final plug. Anyone in the Philadelphia area next week, August 20. 20- Fifth Friday, seven to nine. I'll be at the Philadelphia Drum and uh, Percussion Shop in Fishtown. Super excited to be there. I've never been there, and and when I lived there, there was not a single drum shop or even a guitar center within the city that I could get to. So this is nice. super cool. It's gonna make me want to move back because they've got all the boutique stuff. They got A and F. I just saw a RBH kit's gonna be there. Ooh. They've got Love Custom Drums in there. They've oh, got everything. Dude. Q drums. I mean, I'm not taking anything. Maybe a snare drum. <laughs> I'm just going to play say, Well, I was also going to say, the other thing you shouldn't take is your wallet. <laughs> Leave that with the wife and just, just go in and be like, ah, oh, wish I could, but I can't. I only got 45 cents in my pocket and some Burt's Beeswax. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Well, dude, from so I, I kind of want to skip the camp just because it's one of those things. It's, it's too intense. It's, it's almost impossible to explain. Um, for those of you who don't know, I was in Ireland teaching the 21 Drums Camp with my friends Mark Juliana and Ash Sohn. Great time, epic camp. But I want to talk more about the clinic. The clinic itself. Mm. Okay, I've done it. This is my third time doing it with these two guys. I've obviously done a ton of clinics with Matt and JP. First time I did this clinic, I did it with Sput and Mark Juliana. And last year it was with Ash and Mark. It's not easy to do that clinic and get up 
off, like walk off stage and feel good about yourself. I'm just going to throw it out. There. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's just not easy. Like <laughs> they're really good at what they do. So, <laughs> all I can say is this is the greatest I've ever felt playing on a stage since maybe PASIC, uh 2013. Wow! So you got to break it down. What was different? Um. Probably a little bit of friendship. So our friendship has grown one more year stronger to the point where last year when I played that clinic, every single snare that I hit in my head, Ash was going early, late, uh, yeah, late, right, right. early. <laughs> he wasn't, of course. Well, now I'm a year deeper into being friends with him. And I know that that's just not how his mind works. He's just appreciating what's going on. Uh, in my head, the first time I played in front of Mark, it was just like too loud, too loud, too loud. <laughs> he chokes up like nine inches on his sticks and he's still like a, a ferocious lion somehow so i hear him saying cliche 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 right right totally totally and, and so uh, not that he does goodness. that he's he's such a nice guy right right so <laughs> so that i think there was a little bit of that i was like okay well these guys don't they don't judge like that I think the biggest thing was I played tracks from my band, which was music oh, that right. I liked to play. Yeah. It was crazy how fun I, how much fun I had and uh, how proud I was of what was happening. And none of it was drummy crap. You know, It wasn't like me throwing down chops and licks. It was just, yeah. all right. And I actually had planned on playing Freedom Land, uh, the Will Kennedy right. track that yeah, I've been playing that. for freaking four years. And what was funny was I had all week long, I was taking time out of the camp. I would go into one of the practice rooms at night and I would practice by myself thinking, okay, whatever happens on stage on the last night, I want to be prepared. So I've been practicing Freedom Land and one of the Man on the Moon tracks. We get to sound check, sound check and I don't want to, there's a lot of people at sound check, so I didn't want to use the track, the Man on the Moon track that I was going to play in the clinic. So I used one of the other tracks and it, it felt great, even though I hadn't played it all week long. And then I sound checked Freedom Land. And I, th- I think you've heard like the version that Will gives out to people. It's just really bass and keyboard. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Well, as soon as I sound checked it, after sound checking my band songs, I was like, no, this isn't me. This is, this yeah. is great. And it's a great assignment, but this isn't what I would listen to in my car. I would listen to the Yellow Jackets version of it for yeah, sure, right, right. but not this MIDI version of it. And I didn't feel anything in my drummer soul. So I just thought, I'm not playing that. Even though I've prepped it all week long and I've worked my ass off uh-huh. on it, it's not where I want to be. So I played two Man on the Moon tracks. And it felt like a freaking concert, Mike. I'm not kidding. Like, yeah, I, I you know, like, because I kind of, it was like one of the first times ever that I had my eyes closed in a clinic almost the whole time because I was just like, I'm going to be in the moment and just accept the consequences. Yeah. And then I'd, you know, and I'm like hearing like yells and like hoots and hollers. And I'm like, what the hell are they yelling for? <laughs> so it was, it was awesome. So I had so much fun. And then uh, uh, Mark um, wrote a little tune for us with his OP1, a uh, little mini keyboard. Uh-huh. And uh, we we played this kind of Celtic themed outro for, at the end of the clinic. All three of us played together, uh, and uh, then they brought all the campers to uh, kind of stand behind us as we played this beautiful tune, and that was it. And the other important part is Ash absolutely crushed his stuff, and Mark went in like oh, yeah. I don't know what happened. Like I've seen Mark play a lot, I've never seen him play like this. He <laughs> went in man um so yeah it was it was fantastic the camp was great but the clinic was definitely the highlight and that's a good thing because it's the last thing that you do 
but then you fly home. It's like, well, oh yeah, it we could we could erase the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could erase the whole week of greatness with one bad show. So it, it was a blast, and it was packed. So to everyone in Dublin, thank you for coming out because uh, it was pouring rain, and we we expected there to be no one there, and it was packed to the brim. So, so really fun stuff. So since you bring up clinic, um, and I have a clinic coming up, I've been wanting yeah. to ask you how prepared do you feel you need to be for a one to two hour clinic how much material do you prepare or do you leave it one thing and then plenty of time to expand on it like, no, it's, I, I'm an over preparer, I think, and I think I'm going to have about a six hour workshop that I have to do in two hours. <laughs> well, I, I will say this uh, with those types of things, it's never for me, it's never left a chance as far as the time I've already if I had to do what you're going to do, I would have already done it on my in my room probably five times from oh, wow. beginning to end okay. and uh, with a timer and everything. So uh, so, yeah, and then I. Obviously, the good thing, as long as you have enough material to get to the end, you'll be fine because you can always take stuff out. What's tough is when you kind of look at the clock and you're like, there's no way there's still 45 minutes left. Like, I <laughs> right. I did it all. And then it's like, uh, so who wants to learn a role? So, <laughs> so yeah, you don't want to do that. So I think you'll be fine. But I would definitely give it just a run through because the other thing that you're not practicing, you might be working all this stuff out in your head, but you haven't played the drums and then put a microphone next to your face and started speaking. Oh, yeah. And you're going to enjoy a beautiful sensation known as cotton mouth. <laughs> and you're going to be looking around for anything that's even remotely wet. <laughs> it's, it's uh, yeah, so I would honestly practice that because I've seen that snake bite a few of my fra- favorite clinicians who, or favorite drummers who tried to do the clinic thing. And they'd finish playing, and, and not even a performance, just a little something, but there's so much adrenaline going on. And then they put this microphone right next to their face, and you can hear them going like, "Good oh, yeah. <laughs> Got a little bit of Elmer's glue in my mouth. <laughs> That's funny. So, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, planning so on the same try similar approach because I, I really don't like playing backing tracks. You know, if, right. I, if I didn't write them, like I just, I've done right. it. I did it in college. It just feels like recitals or, or juries sure. or something. And, you know, so that I was like, all right, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm not going to play. So I'm just I'm taking two two songs from my electronic band because I want to talk a lot about how we're doing live loops and all that kind of stuff on the gig. And then yeah. I'm taking a song from the rock band and just showing how I apply all my training to just bashing the drums. And I think nice. because these are songs that I've had to play a hundred times, I'm not worried about the performance at all. Right. So then yeah. it's just down to what do I do to explain this stuff. And if I think if I took a track, like a real tricky Dave Weckl track, I'd be sweating it. And I'd never feel like I owned it. You know, that's Yeah, I mean, that's what I've been doing for so long. And the difference between playing my band songs versus even, even Will Kennedy's stuff that I've practiced more than my band stuff. I've played that for four years straight, almost every day. Mm-hmm. But there's so much pressure about, like, one, it's, it's a difficult track. But two, it's it's like... Everything that I've ever been told is in my head. Well, I've never been told anything in my band. Yeah, you know, right, yeah. Every once in a while, I get a smile, and that's nice. But <laughs> yeah. it's never been like, don't forget to hit this. Don't do that. It's just there's, you know. Yeah, I also it's, don't it's, like it's, having to all of a sudden be a fusion drummer. You know, like right. The, the bands I'm playing in, it's all about simple, deliberate drumming. And, and if I'm going to go down there and shed, like that doesn't. That doesn't make any sense at all. I'm not going to throw my Vinny chops that I haven't used in right. 15 years on a, on something. 
I think Ash is a perfect example of somebody that we know from his little spices that he throws in there that he has he has chops. Even though yeah. he'll downplay it, he does. But in his clinic, he played. Uh, he he came out with a bass player who was just the uh, second engineer at the studio we were at, and mentioned he played bass to Ash. And Ash was like, "Well, dude, let's let's open the clinic together." Um, cool. And they just played like a nice little reggae groove. Um, and he when he played his reggae groove, it was so convincing and so spot on. People lost their minds, but mm-hmm. really, he was just playing a beat. I right. mean, no fills, right? <laughs> yeah. But he played that beat with so much conviction. Everybody, all the chops people were like, dang, I, I forgot that you're allowed to do that. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think all that really matters, and I really do think this will be helpful for you, and it's what caused the reaction that I got at my clinic was it was probably the most honest anyone's ever seen me play drums. No one was losing their mind over the drumming. It was just like, man, he's in his zone. Yeah. I've never seen him this happy before. Yeah, so right. I think that I, I think I'm kind of going to start pulling away from the – let me make sure I'm maxed out in front of you. Yeah. And then it's a high wire yeah. act, and hopefully I land on my feet. And show you 800 styles in 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It feels like a bad YouTube pun video, uh, you know, like rock drummer, jazz drummer, fusion drummer, Latin drummer. So, so yeah, I think as long as you're true to who you are, you're going to be fine. All right. All right. Well, checks let's in the mail get for into- that little lesson. There you go, my friend. So, I uh, want to talk about defining greatness and really figuring out as a company what does modern drummer value in other drummers as they're watching people come up into the scene of professional drumming and then what do we personally value uh, as fans I mean you and I are still fans of drumming and we see new drummers that catch our ear and catch our eye all the time and at some point it's a weird thing we don't know when this happens but at some point we take them seriously Mm -hmm. it's you know at some point it's like oh man that girl can play. And then one day you're like, hmm, I wonder if she teaches because I don't know how to do any of that. Yeah, and, I, yeah. and I actually value that person's opinion. So let's go back a little bit in time and talk about what maybe Modern Drummer valued and what we valued in, say, late 80s all the way up through the late 90s. Yeah, that's kind of the peak of um, you had to have some sort of gatekeeper, kind of. You had right. to have either either a record label that was pushing you with PR, you had to have your own independent publicist, you had to have a, a, a publishing deal, like a book deal, you had to have an instructional video, you had to have, you had to have some, or, or a, a endorsements that were really kind of pushing for you to get some attention. So you had to have right. some kind of a corporate type gatekeeper uh, because there's really no other way for, unless we would just go out to a club and see someone and be like, right, who are Accidentally. you? Accidentally. Right. Or on TV, we're like, who the heck is that drummer? That happened with Aaron Spears. It, okay. it was 2004 or something, 2005. It was still pre-YouTube. Right. Uh, DVDs were still, you know, the cutting edge technology. And we saw him on TV with Usher, and everyone came in the office next day and said, who the heck was that guy? We had people calling the office. Who the heck was that guy? Wow. So that was just one of those undeniable, that guy is getting some something happening. Let's, let's right. I mean, he played the festival like the year or two later. I mean, he was, he went yeah. instantly to like everyone's favorite drummer. And it was just because he they gave him a lot of airtime on TV because he was, that particular song, he was doing a lot of stuff. A lot of his signature kind of yeah. over the, the bar line linear things that he kind of, you know, made really popular at that time. Absolutely. So that was one of the 
the odd rare thing, but still he was playing with Usher and he was on TV. So there was still some kind of a gatekeeper that gave him. I mean, that really was how we found out about a lot of people was maybe Dave Letterman at night, you know, or Jay Leno at night. Yeah. And like you said, it's like, well, I know who Usher is, but I have no idea who plays drums for Usher. And then you see this performance where the lead uh, artist allows the drummer to get loose a little bit. Yeah. And it's just like, what? What just happened? Yeah. Um, and then, exactly. yeah, and then immediately you either wrote to Modern Drummer or you had to find out, I, I don't know who that is. Yeah. And since since he or she isn't on the album, I have no way to find out who they are. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. Such a different time for sure. So, we, so we're saying that at that time, there was your skill, your collective skill, which has to be there in the first place. Yeah. And then there was a validator. So mm-hmm. it was either your gig or your albums. Um, and then after that, we can kind of categorize it as like, oh, yeah, you've been validated by your live performances or you've been validated by the number of albums you're on or by the education you've put forth in book and DVD form. Yeah. And it's even though one of those can be weighed more heavily than the others, like someone who sells millions of records, we're going to pay more attention to them because of that. That kind of pushes them and in, in heavy on that side, the the, right. the fame and fortune side. But there's still an underlying sense of excellence and craftsmanship and innovation and or influence that has to be there. It doesn't matter who right. you're playing with. We don't we don't go just for who's the number one Billboard charting band sure. and who's the drummer. If if, he's, if that's cool, that's a good factor. We'll check the guy out. If we think he's kind of subpar, he's he'll be further down on the list. Who who the guy who plays yeah. you know in the 55 bar in New York City to. 30 40 people but every time he plays it's like life-altering experience and then changing the game yeah Yeah. that's it's just one way ways it's all these factors of influence pursuit of excellence innovation um and then requests i mean i think you can't deny when someone's just popular it just happens right you know like well i also think that there's the intangible and the unexplainable part of you just know it when you see it you know that's that's the 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 I guess the hardest part about like sports drafting is the eye test. Like I know I so he can't jump, he can't sprint. <laughs> I understand, but he's won every game he's ever played. No, it's so strange. you know. So it's like so we're going to draft him, and and you know and the owner's like, don't draft him. He didn't do the forty in you know yeah, in this yeah. amount of time. And it's like I don't care. Have you seen his tapes? Yeah, he kills it. So that's what a, does it matter? That's a weird anomaly. And I remember even as a kid going to like college basketball games. And there's always one guy that it just looks like there's a spotlight on him no matter where he goes. It's just like right. everyone watch that guy. And and my, my first instinct, instinct says he's got to be the best player on the team. But then at the end of the game, you see it wasn't him. It was this other guy who had 45 points. You know, it right. was the it was the uh, the Steph Curry guy, the guy who just right. can kind of meld into the into the uh, the roster. So right. the eye test can be deceiving because you can see someone that's be like, man, he must be awesome. And then when it comes right. down to it, it's actually, you know, you think of it with rock stars, the guys who look like a rock star, like he must be sure. a, a badass. But then the guys who are really great, usually just wearing jeans and T-shirts and, right. you know, just getting the job done. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's really they, they hard. walks in, it's like, and, uh, okay, well, the producer called me to replace your drums because yeah. they're so horrible because <laughs> yeah. your jeans are cutting off your circulation, man. Um, yeah, and that's it's, you know, so you get a Shannon Force that just walks in and, and knocks it out. Yeah, yeah. So, there's okay, no spotlight so shining on him, but when he plays, it's kind of undeniable. It's undeniable. Yeah. Right. Well, let's move forward into the modern day. So, 
obviously the touring or the big name artists and the albums that's not the only defining factor anymore um everyone's no. an educator if you've ever played drums you probably have a lesson on youtube somewhere yeah so the field yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's also the field has opened up so much because we if you own drums we've probably seen you play on youtube or instagram mm, yeah. or facebook yeah. so it's just flooded with so many people so now i think the biggest thing that is has shifted is instead of it's instead of it being what you can put on your resume it's now shifted towards influence, in my opinion. Who's yeah. influencing people? Um, the album stuff still carries a lot of weight to me. Like I, you know, when someone gets that first major label gig, it's like, oh man, okay. So Keith Carlock's now playing with John Mayer, and he's playing with Sting. That's that's yeah. a little bit different than playing with Wayne Krantz at the Fifty Five Bar, right? Right. right yeah. Um, and that does carry weight to me still, not as somebody that's judging drummers, but as a fan of drumming. It's like, dang. It's almost like a reward, too. It's like, yeah, you deserve it. You've worked your butt off. Yeah, you should exactly. be playing with these people. It's finally um, thousands of people know what a choice group of people knew all along. It's like it's Keith right. is a perfect example of that. Like Everyone who saw him play in whatever gig he was playing, even I've even heard from people who went to college with him, Like you just knew right away that guy is world-class. He's going to be amazing. Right. And yeah. everyone who saw him play, I was like, yeah, he's he's the greatest drummer on earth. You ever heard him? And then finally he gets a gig where like everyone in the whole community just agrees, okay, Keith Carlock, you're awesome. <laughs> you yeah. Have for you sure. heard Keith yeah. Carlock? It's like, it's also like the uh, the Steve Jordan effect. Like, man, have you heard right. Steve Jordan? I mean, yeah, since 1985, but I'm glad you finally <laughs> heard him Yeah, for the well, first yeah, time. And you kind of want to say, yeah, and so have you. You just didn't know it was him. Yeah, Cheryl Crow. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like pick a, pick a record, he's on it. Yeah. Half uh, of your collection is Steve Jordan. Uh, it, well, and it's funny, too, that John Mayer has become the validator. It's like, oh, Aaron Sterling's playing with John Mayer? Yeah, he's one of the best drummers in the world. Well, it's it's like, the, wait, no, I mean, that kind of is in, indicative of how kind of bad the state of, of rock and roll and you know pop culture embracing bands has become. It's, it's such right. like an individual artist kind of scene where everyone knows the, the guy or girl who's out front dancing, but the band is just not relevant who plays for justin bieber i have no idea yeah and, plays for and, taylor, you know, and they're taylor all Swift, maybe i know i think you know but i can't remember who that is yeah um, matt billingsley yeah and oh by the way speaking of that i just met adam uh katie perry's drummer he came out to the gig uh, in yeah. dublin yeah and again he, he married a drummer. lady from dublin and uh yeah sweetest guy ever but i was like wait katie perry has a drummer <laughs> yeah and what's kind of ironic is i i'm pretty sure that that she's had the same band the entire time so they're no, like he, they're he literally <laughs> yeah he told me he's like he's like yeah man that was tough times when we first did warp tour i'm like oh you did warp this year he's like no we did the first warp tour i'm like wait what <laughs> he's like yeah we've been together for over a decade and I, I was just blown away i mean sweetest guy you could ever imagine but it was like wow yeah of course she has a drummer i mean yeah um you know, I'm, I'm sitting here talking to a guy that played the freaking Super Bowl. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, were you behind the fish? How does this work? So, so yeah, yeah so the world has changed for sure. Yeah. So, so I, you said influence. I think that's, that's probably the best word um, because popularity wouldn't necessarily be it. Because there's very yeah. popular artists and drummers and musicians who – have nothing really new to offer, nothing new to really contribute or say. There's going to be kind of recycling stuff that everyone's been saying. Their their plan is indicative of that. Like, you're great, you do what you do. We've heard it since 1965 or whatever 
but it's yeah, the, no, I'm it's with the you. people who tweak it in even just the slightest, tiniest little way. I mean, I think Ash is a good example. I mean, like, he's playing a halftime shuffle, but he has his own way of doing it. But the halftime shuffle has been like the benchmark drumming groove since, I mean, Rosanna came out in the 80s, but when did Fool in the Rain come out? Late 70s. 70s, yeah. And then, and then and before Peg, that. Home with, at last. Yeah, I mean, with Bernard Purdy. But he just tweaked it in a way that made it his own, made it a little kind of easier to hear. I think his touch is really clean. Also, to see, we, we didn't see it. You know, I mean, unless yeah. you go really deep into YouTube archives, you're not going to even see Jeff Picaro play that shuffle. You're not going to see Bonham play that shuffle. Right, yeah. You have to really search it out. Ash was in our face, and it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know there were that many nuances in that beat. Yeah. Um, not to mention, Guys, go ahead and look for halftime shuffles on major labels. There's not; it's not like the basic rock beat. Where, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's actually kind of hard to find. So we don't hear it a lot. We don't see it a lot. And I did talk to Ash about that. He said that a lot of drummers in the London studio scene have reached out to him and been like, "Hey, I want to do what you're doing. How do you? How do I do it?" And Ash himself is like, you know, he, he he's honestly not a big social media guy. He's like, I don't know. And I told him, I said, "Look, man." You captured lightning in a bottle. Yes, you're you're a monster player, but there was a specific gap of time between you know whoever made the halftime shuffle famous last, and then you just showing up on Instagram killing it. Yeah, yeah. And your sound, and the fact that you had a you know it, it was everything together, and your persona, and your look. It's it's a storm that you cannot predict, and you definitely can't recreate it. So yeah. I yeah. think the key right now, like you said. Um, uh, also, Ash and I talked about 100,000 followers being this thing. He's like, how many followers do you have? I said, uh, I don't know, on Instagram, maybe 101,000 followers. He's like, yeah, I have 105. Do you think we're out of drummers? And I'm like, well, that could be it. Because like, everybody stops at like 102, 103. And I said, yeah, I think we got them all. But anyways, um, I think that 100,000 followers is meaningless to me. What's meaningful to me is when I hear somebody play and I go, wow, you're a huge fan of Benny Greb. Now I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at Benny because I can hear Benny's playing yeah, in you, yeah, yeah. which means that Benny is the influencer. Yep. Um, so I think influence is what now makes me take somebody seriously. When I hear a very talented drummer really copying somebody else's feel or touch, then I go back to the source and go, dang, yeah, that person's got some juice. Yeah, I mean, we're starting to see. I know, I know, Mark's been a, an influence for a lot of people for a number of years, but I'm starting to see like the Weckle effect, where I'm like, dude, yeah. you're setting your kid up like him. You're playing like him because he has a very unique way of sitting at the kit. The way his body yep. is, it looks kind of uncomfortable, but I know he's completely relaxed. And, right. it, and choking up on his stick, choking up on the sticks, kind of leaning over a bit, looking to the left a lot. I don't know if that's yeah. just a reflex from that's where the bass player always used to be or whatever. But I'm seeing young drummers cop everything about him, and that oh, is totally freaking me out. It's like, wow, you've got the Weckl effect happening, man! <laughs> like, yeah, full on. You're you're changing the way people set up their kit, and I think all that's fine and well. <laughs> But I do caution against people saying, "All right, now I'm going to do my own uh, YouTube page where I play just like that." Like you're still well, in mean, that early stage. Like, sure, yeah. share, share what you're doing. Make sure you're crediting it. Crediting it, I think, would be number one. Like every time I do a video, I'd be like, "Here's another thing I kind of grabbed from Mark." I'm still kind of ingesting right. all of his stuff, and not try to yeah. be like, "Look at me do but this." But when you thing. pass it off as your own. It's, yeah, it's, it's kind of it's a little dangerous. It's tough. I mean, I guess I mean we're not young drummers. We've kind of seen a lot. So it, for someone who's probably thirteen and sees this twenty-one-year-old doing Mark Giuliano stuff, it's probably like, "Whoa, that's amazing! You're great!" And then they discover Mark, and then like, "Oh, okay, cool." But 
for us, it's just it's the middle ground of development. I think where awesome you can do that, tweak it some way, do something with you it. You have to get yeah, some, get some I, contact I lenses. Don't wear glasses. Do some right, right. <laughs> do anything. But yeah, and that's uh, I remember even in high school though. If somebody would do one little thing in jazz band, they were so proud at the time because we had no social media to say, oh, yeah, that's the Philly Philly lick, you yeah. know, the Philly Joe Jones yeah, lick. Yeah. Um, and that's, oh, I'm doing the Art Blakey thing, you know, and it was like, oh, cool. But and then it was but it was like a thing. It You know, it would happen for a, a second or maybe an A section, but it wasn't like they played the whole tune like Philly Joe, you know. Yeah. Um, and you're right. So I think that that to me is the newest benchmark of what values a drummer to me and what steps them up in the game is when i see other drummers that are talented stealing their stuff really and and or borrowing their stuff um since it's all borrowed from someone else but when you watch mark play you have to realize and this would be true with any drummer i just happen to know more about mark's history but you're watching an amalgamation of chad smith dave grohl elvin jones yeah jim black williams yeah Yep, absolutely. Zach Danziger. And, I mean, there's so many little, little Yeah, factors. you're watching all of those influences, and you're watching a guy that put in the time to say, okay, with all of those influences, who am I? Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, when you kind of go, oh, man, that person has taken the next step. So it's important for us to keep pushing ourselves personally, moving forward, and trying to achieve our own greatness that we can be proud of. And this goes all the way back to the beginning of the podcast where it's like, I have no idea what happened on the drums during that clinic, but for the first time I felt like me. Yeah. And I didn't I don't have to watch it back. I don't have to see anything about it. I didn't have to record it. It's like cool. That was good enough for me. Leave it alone. You and know? I, I and guarantee I everyone in the room probably felt like like you connected on a on another level. Not just here's a guy who's really good at the drums, let me go practice some right. some ideas, but like, okay, I experienced something. That's that's always what I'm looking for. That's what happened. Right. I'm sure I've talked about it, but I've, first time I saw Jack DeJunet, it was like that guy just played for 45 minutes, and it was it was life altering. And I didn't right. once think of like what sticking is he doing. And the first time and you I, probably also didn't think like a checklist like and there's the Tony Williams lick and there's not the at all. Jones. Yeah, exactly. Right. Even though he's using the same language, he's just tweaked it in his own way. And it, it was right. the same thing the first time I saw Benny Greb, and he would just played played like a Steve Gadd groove, but he had his own tweak on it, and it was so right. honest and so like. He was literally communicating, and and the drums were just his vehicle. I think right. that's the only way that I can kind of see the greatness. That's when it when it happens. Like Brian Blade, when right. he plays drums, I don't think Oof. of any of the notes he's playing. I'm just thinking pure experience. Like what is he doing to get that experience? And even in a ballad, you're still sitting there going, like, I, this is the most intense thing. Yeah, while being completely relaxed. And, it's, and, and, yeah. and there's no one way. I mean, the way that Steve Gadd plays a, a, a slow six eight groove, it's there's no denying that that's him 100. percent He's not trying to channel someone else. So I think I think yeah. honesty is probably the the, the f- clearest path to greatness for me. I don't care what Beautiful. you do as long as you're just honest with it. Uh, Beautiful. Yeah, I agree. Well, now let's talk about somebody that has the greatness and has the honesty and I don't think it's in the most tangible drum candy type of way and that's Chris Turner. Uh, when you first see Chris Turner play, it, especially if you put it on mute, you would think like, "Oh wow, this guy plays with a lot of arm." Yep. Um, it's a little stiff. It's it's unorthodox. And then put the sound back on, and it's just as fluid as you could possibly imagine. 
and there's something there that makes it him. It makes him stand out from other metal drummers. Um, and it, it's it's pretty amazing. So Chris Turner, if you guys don't know, he's in a band called Oceans 8 Alaska. And he's a bit of a freak. Yeah, and, and he's a young it's about guy. about the best I could put it. Yeah. <laughs> I, think yeah. He's, I think he's 20 in his early 20s. And uh, he, How do they memorize this stuff, dude? Have you ever talked to a metal drummer? I mean, the, these... The parts, <laughs> These yeah. arrangements are so long, and they're yeah. so changing every two... Uh, it's like, there's yeah. no verse groove. There's no chorus groove. It's just... <laughs> Like through composed, yeah, it's, for uh, yeah. six minutes. It reminds me of like I've got some some friends from college who still remember every phone number that everyone ever had in college. It's like, man, you've got what's what's up, or they know every. <laughs> you were about date. to say what's wrong with yeah, you? Yeah, what's wrong with what's you? Wrong or he, with or you? he knows like every date of every Blue Note record and the personnel right. and the track listing. I'm like, man, are you trying to study this? That's just the way that their brains work. I right. I can't learn drum parts that way. It would take me a month to memorize a three-minute song from this band. But yes. he's playing from his own heart and his own passion. Absolutely. And that's, that's the key. And it, I think any other drummer who's not dialed into this style, who tried to play one of these songs, you would, you would sound really inappropriate. That's what's I, I shocking totally agree. to me. It's like inappropriate drumming in any other case, except for when he does it, it's completely appropriate and honest. You know? Absolutely. Well, before we get too much into him and and his band, let's just give it a listen. So he, uh, you guys had a video on moderndrummer.com, and this is a duet between him and Josh Manuel. Yeah. Manuel. Right. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, just check this out and good luck with your head. <laughs> Okay, so what you just heard is a duet that the first drummer was Josh Manuel and the second drummer was Chris Turner. I think you could probably hear their their very different styles. We actually transcribed yeah. this whole thing. Um, I think it's the whole Eeks. thing. It's on moderndrummer.com. If it's not the whole thing, it's enough <laughs> because there's yeah. so many notes. Uh, <laughs> the phrasing is just off the hook. I just think of like if if Zach Hill played exact same parts every single time. And Zach Hill's one of my favorite drummers just because he just, again, he's just expressing himself in a most abstract way, and I think it's amazing. But this is kind of like, how do you take that and put it into a song? (laughs) You know, that has like It's it's honestly, it's so beyond me um, because I'm I'm also just thinking in terms of where 
where's the sheet music? Yeah. How do they remember this stuff? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I, I'm thinking about like playing a cover tune and I'm like, okay, don't forget there's a two beat break going into the bridge. I These guys are memorizing the most complicated parts ever. I mean, it's unreal. I, well, I think we're probably showing our age, but I'm thinking, like, how the heck do you even write these parts? Like, yeah, where do you go from this kind of ambient, gorgeous, luscious guitar vamp to to right. that? <laughs> like, how does that happen? Yeah, um, and and, I, and I, the other thing is, like you mentioned, um, Chris is young, and so that means if that's what our young drummers are thinking about. This is great. This is moving the instrument forward. And some of these young guys are going to be like Arthur, who plays with uh, Tigran Hamasayan, and they're going to move this into the jazz idiom. And some yeah. are going to bring it you know, into pop someday. And maybe, maybe just like how drum and bass became uh, the background for some pop tunes in the late 90s and, and all the way through the 2000s, maybe this stuff becomes – there's a bridge that has this like kind of – uh, genty feel to it. It's like, dude, that'd be great. I'd love to hear that drumming in, yeah. in the bridge of a Katy Perry tune. It'd be <laughs> awesome. Adam, yeah. get on it. <laughs> it, it actually reminds me when, uh, gosh, I think it was when Steve Jordan did the Alicia Keys record. I can't remember, but it was the big hit single. And, okay. and his drum part is almost like the end of a phrase. It's like, the, what would you play in the fourth bar of an R&B song with a couple okay. extra notes? Yeah, and that became his main part, and he explained it like that. Like, yeah, I just, I just made this busier part that would have been what I would normally play as a fill, and that became the beat for the song. So he pushed wow. like, like straight R and B, took like the break beat, the ending yeah, measure yeah, yeah. that you the would turn around. Yeah, the turnaround that became the main beat, and then I think that allowed pop drumming to be a little bit, you know, a few more bass drum notes. I think that's all risk, he did. A little more risky. Yeah. yeah, and that was just like a little tweak. But yeah. yeah, this is this is a little bit a little bit more extreme than that. A little more extreme, but it's <laughs> it's amazing. And like I said, I think it's important to watch Chris play because you will see that there's no one way to play the drums. There's no right way and only right way to play the drums. He has an or- unorthodox style, but if he came to me, you know, to say, "Hey, I just need to work on my technique," and I saw him play, I'd be like, "No, you don't. Oh, yeah. It's clearly working for you. Please don't change a thing." Yeah. Uh, the other thing I think would be helpful for people especially people that aren't into this genre of music you need to see him play because when you hear this stuff you're especially if you watch more videos check out like his performance spotlight video with vic firth um you're going to hear it as this heavy heavy metal thing and you hear the drums so loud and the crash is so loud and what you when you watch it you realize like oh maybe drums and cymbals really open up when you don't hit him so hard oh, yeah. he's not a heavy hitter um there is a point where drums actually drums and cymbals, and I, I'm sure there's triggers involved. I actually don't know. Do you know if he triggers? In in the story, which is the September issue, he's pretty adamant about no samples, no triggers. It's awesome. All, okay, it's all just processed live drums. Sure. So you know, especially from just spending a week in a world class recording studio, we spent a lot of time talking about how drums. They have a volume cap with the microphones where they just start to choke. And yep. if you want them to sound massive and Bonham-esque, you got to back off a little. So I think jo- or I'm sorry, I think Chris is also achieving a massive sound and a heavy sound by playing not so heavy. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty well, everyone, inspiring. check out. Yeah, for sure. Check out Chris Turner. He's a young cat, but he's just a monster player. And uh, Mike and I mentioned he's just a monster arranger as well. Those parts are incredible. Um, So you can just type in Chris Turner drummer to YouTube and you'll be well on your way. All right.
Before we get into the gear review section, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Dream Symbols, who you guys, I'm sure, have heard Mike and I talk about them being a great option, an affordable option if you want a jazzy, kind of thin, vibey symbol, which would be the Bliss or Contact line. But there's also the series, the Energy series, which um, I think if you're into more louder playing or more kind of aggressive playing, that would be what you should check out. Again, the prices are great. Uh, and it just so happened that they sent me some to check out. So next week we'll get some audio in here. I've just got them here. I've got a 19-inch Energy Crash that looks cool. So it's a little bit heavier, but it still has some wobble. The bell is raw. So we're going to check that out. We've got a 21-inch ride. That'll be cool. We've got a 21-inch Crash ride. So I'm kind of curious what that offers that's different from the ride and the crashes. Um, and the most appropriate, they've sent a Dark Matter... 21 inch eclipse ride which is half lathe from the edge to about halfway up and then the bell out is raw kind of cool looks a little bit like an eclipse and then the last thing that they sent is this this re it's reFX scott pellegram what are they calling this thing the naughty saucer which is essentially a 14 inch um disc with the with the center cut out so you can kind of put it on a snare drum and get some crazy sounds this morning i do it on my hi-hat cymbals i got some really kind of weird trashy kind of rattly things um but these are all very cool uh thanks dream for sending them for us to check out and then like i said next week we'll uh, we'll drop in some audio of all these things um definitely curious about this eclipse ride it looks pretty wild so anyway thanks stream and let's get into the gear review section Let's get into a little, as my voice gives out, let's get into a little bit of gear review. Got your water uh, nearby there, cotton mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so nervous. Uh, let's get into a little bit of gear review. By so the way, to, how do you think yeah. we're doing with our version two of the exact same show? It's been all right. I think it's pretty good. I think, yeah, I think by not doing it the day after, I, I felt... I felt like that's the first time I've seen Chris play. We're not playing the same licks over and over again. I think we're all no, right. No, <laughs> no. I think the jokes are pretty original. Uh, so I think they're just as unfunny as they were the first time, but yeah, they're pretty original. Still pretty now, dorky. Um, yeah. uh, so checking out the 14 by 5.5 Danette Titanium Snare. So this snare, just titanium snares in general through uh, Ron Danette, uh, came out in 1989. So this is not a new thing. Ron's been doing this for quite a while. He's received a ton of awards for this stuff um, and for having a titanium shell with brass tube lugs. Um, and the way he has his double-edged, double-flange steel hoops and all that. By the way, his hoops are incredibly comfortable to play. I'm not going to lie about that. That is mm. uh, this, drum, this drum is extremely fun to play. So I got to check it out. I have a 14 by 5.5 uh, classic titanium snare. Uh, pretty affordable for what it is uh, i mean i think it's priced correctly you could probably find these used on reverb from anywhere between 899 to maybe 1100 bucks uh, at this level of craftsmanship i think that's the the ballpark of where they should be and i'd probably be okay spending up to about 13 maybe 1350 for a drum like this it is yeah. a special drum it's titanium. I, think the, I mean titanium is not it, cheap. It, yeah <laughs> Yeah, it is titanium, <laughs> and we we should kind of figure out where does this live in the metal world. So, first of all, it has a very dissonant overtone that's pure as all get out, but it's not what you would think. Um, so it's it's pretty incredible. I mean, you you don't own a titanium snare, but you've checked one out, or you do own one. I don't own one. I've reviewed his. Uh 
few, several and years and back. I can't remember the okay. size, and then also reviewed. He'd made the Stanton Moore signature drum, which I think is a five right. and a, a four and a half by a fourteen. Yeah. Um, that was a snappy drum. Uh, yeah, you know we're going to listen to it, but I, what I recall was it was like a an unusual combination of like metal and wood in a way that it's hard to describe. Like it just it had all I agree. the the body of a wood drum but it didn't ring like a like a metal drum but it still had the brightness of a metal drum it's just like its own kind of spot its own pocket yeah and, and uh let's give it a listen and, th- and then we'll talk about uh the the timbre of the metal itself all right Okay, so was that with any muffling, or was that wider? That was zero muffling whatsoever. Yeah. That's a single ply texture coated head. I wanted that that overtone to be there, so you could hear how it does differ from brass, and then maybe I would say the the spectrum would be maybe brass on one end and then aluminum on the other end. This is man, it's pushing towards the aluminum side, but it's not dead. It's not thuddy. It's it's got <laughs> yeah. so much life, man. Um, but it cracks like you said. It cracks like a maple snare. Yeah. Uh, so single ply head. Uh, he does have those really wide. What are they? Forty two strand. Yeah, yeah that um, makes it extra snaring. Yeah. Yeah, he's got the wide snares on the bottom. Um, obviously, has his own throw off, which is extremely uh, awesome and easy to use. But it's a really comfortable drum to play. It come your stick comes right back at you, mm. uh, so it, it does have a lot of response to it as a drum. It loves that low tuning. It just sounds amazing, you know. Um, you put yeah. one tiny piece of tape or one tiny piece of gel on there, and and you're set for your country album. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's it's got that. But the one thing that I didn't do at the time that I recorded that, which was you know before I left, is I didn't go really high with it, and then after being at the camp and playing on Mark's jazz kit all week, I just kind of started falling in love with that, mm-hmm. that next level of high tuning where it almost kind of chokes out purposely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's where my snare is right now. And it's probably never going back. Oh yeah. And I'm talking about the titanium. Yeah. Huh. Uh, so I will say that I'm kind of bummed that, and, and maybe uh, next week's intro will have it, but it, it came. So let's say you've got low and then I recorded medium and then you go high and then it kind of chokes out, and then two more turns, and it comes back to life as this amazing bop snare drum. Mm. Just incredible. So I think if you're looking for – this is, to me, more all-around than an aluminum snare drum. And maybe 
stands apart from a brass snare drum where a brass snare drum once you get in the studio you hit it and the producers are gonna go yep that's a snare drum yeah this yep. he's gonna go hey what is that what are you playing on the snare there you know this is gonna make him just stop for a second and say ask what is that <laughs> but not in a bad way uh so i i love this snare for sure and it's, it's so hard to describe it's like describing the difference between yellow and blue but you can't say green like what what right. is what is it it's it's what do you call yeah. that it's but it's almost like aluminum and titanium for me. Like I, I wouldn't necessarily get them both if I if I didn't have a bunch of drums because they're right kind of the same family. But it's almost like Cain and Abel. Like they're brothers that are completely different, and right. you can tell they're brothers. I don't know what makes them different. It's just like the right. aluminum. I yeah. think has a little bit more uh, funk, a little bit grit, more grit, and this yeah, seems this to be real little... kind of focused. It is. It, this is, and and it's honestly, it's a classy drum. You know, yeah. I mean, Ron doesn't mess around, but titanium in general, it's just like, oh, that'll match any. You know, it looks great. It sounds great. The shell is incredibly thin, so it's a pretty light drum because titanium is already a light metal. But yeah, I, I really love it. And now that I've experienced it, it's it's going to stay in the collection. So let's just put it that way. <laughs> and you like gray finished drums, right? It's... I really don't mind them very much. <laughs> I kind of yeah. <laughs> looks are kind of I like I like when the drums look good and it's it's a great looking drum. So that is the fourteen by five and a half classic titanium snare drum. Uh, like I said, you can obviously contact uh, Ron for that. You can just go to Danette.com. That's D U N N E T T dot com. And just click on products, go to Titanium T1, and you will see it there. Um, but you can also find these on Reverb.com, anywhere from eight ninety nine up. I think I also saw one maybe for around a thousand on MemphisDrumShop.com. So yeah, you'll you'll find them out there if you if you take a look. All right, let's get into some questions. All right, so I had to transcribe these since I trashed the original version. Right, <laughs> freaking dagger. <laughs> At least I didn't lose it under the seat this time. Oh man. Okay, this first one's from Michael. He asked, I've been working on getting my dream of running an online drum school to become a reality. I have a five-year plan, but do you gentlemen have any advice or caution that I should consider? I love the fact that you have a five-year plan because it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, My thought when I made the leap from YouTube to a charged website where I was charging for drum lessons was, if I could take 1% with me that would actually pay, then that would be great. Mm-hmm. So that's taking 100,000 people and saying, will a 1,000 follow me over to a paid website? And I wasn't willing to even start my business until I felt comfortable with that. So yeah. to just show up and be like, I'm here. I've got dope cameras. Uh, that's <laughs> not going to be enough. You're going to need, you know, unless you're okay with like, hey, I have three students. I have a couple friends that are now doing the online thing but they're not really worried about the success of it because they're mainly doing it to do it and to also give their private students a virtual way to access the content like hey i gave you a lesson yesterday but maybe you forgot it so just log in here and you can see it uh and and hear me play it and and refresh yourself and i think that's a great way to go too um i would not get too worried with gear as long as the gear is quality enough to not distract from the education you're going to be fine and the other thing is I just wouldn't I would be I would really revel in the small victories. Mm. Hey, you got two people to sign up this week. Fantastic, you know. Yeah. Um that it's it's it unfortunately it's not an easy you're dealing with a very small pool of people. 
So you've got musicians, small group of people. Then you say drummers, way smaller group of people. Then you say drummers who have disposable income to spend on your website. That's the smallest group in the history of the world besides (laughs) one-arm unicyclists. That's a weird... <laughs> Why they got to have one arm? <laughs> I don't know. I was, I was trying to narrow unicyclists down lower. How about blonde-haired unicyclists with multicolored eyes? Uh. It's a small group of people, okay? <laughs> you know I'm going to get a letter from like a one-armed unicyclist. Like, hey, lay off, dude. I think there might be zero. I think you might have found the non-existent pool. <laughs> okay. Well, that's about... So, it's, it, so you have to really revel. I remember the day we launched Mike'sLessons.com. It was such not a big deal that I was actually on the golf course with my buddies, and we sold like three lessons for ninety nine cents a piece. And I was like, Taco Bell is on me. Yeah, yeah. I'm blowing up, you know. <laughs> and uh, that was huge to me. I was like, Dude, I made three dollars today while golfing. This is yeah. rad. Um, so, so yeah, just revel in the small victories. Yeah. Do you have any advice? I think it's a good point to not get caught up in the conversion because that's such, I mean, you're talking 1% is probably a success for any business, even if you're yeah. dumping like millions of dollars into your marketing. I mean, that's why these these so-called social media experts get paid so much money because they're you can't crack it. You can't make people convert. I mean, at least yeah. not with strategies that aren't just they, you they doing They get your paid thing. to take you from 1% conversion to 2%. I mean, yeah, that's huge, and that's humongous. You know? So I think that yeah. you know, again, you're not dealing with millions of people, so you have to just be realistic, and it'll grow. I think, I think what I talked about in version one was relating it back to book publishing and and your story about you know your friends who do this for their private students. That's great, but what we see a lot of times with books is then those teachers think, all right, I've got this curriculum that I teach my all my students. I'm going to put it into a book and I'm going to send it to Modern Drummer for a review problem with that is then you're just recycling stuff that already exists mm-hmm. so it's going to be yeah. really hard to get people to want to purchase something that they can they've already seen or they've already purchased or they get it in other sources that are maybe even more verified and more vetable so i would just yeah. be cautious about the content that you charge people for make sure it's your own thing your own slant on it i wouldn't just do the soup to nuts drum shop because you're competing with Mike Johnston. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's going to be hard to catch up. Whereas if you do your own thing, I mean, Aaron Sterling. That's the only thing I can't teach, right? Yeah, your I own can't thing. Teach how to be Aaron Sterling. Yeah, and his like, thing is, I mean, he's nothing in his master classes has not been talked about before. But it's the way he talks about it. It just opens it. It's just the way he delivers that information. And I'm like, oh yeah, of course. I never thought about hemiolas that way before. Even though I've been practicing hemiolas since sixth grade or whatever so just find your own angle on it and i think you'll be fine there you Um, go that's it next one is from nick he's probably already purchased a drum kit by now but (laughs) (laughs) could that be because you're four months behind on questions (laughs) yes take that so (laughs) i guess i guess it's we By the way, send your questions to mdinfo at moderndumber.com. We do have some audio questions, and I would like to get a few more in so we could do an audio segment soon. Perfect. Uh, This one's from Nick. I'm starting a recording class at my school, and I'm in need of a drum set that will be used primarily for the studio. Do you have suggestions for kits that record well but are available for under Mm $1,000? And I think where we said this last time was, you know, throw a dart against the wall and pick a drum set there's so many good options yeah. at that price that's point. a great price point that 750 to a thousand 
is what we used to pay three thousand for, maybe in the mid nineties. Yeah. So um, between the Thomas Silverstar, the Gretsch Catalina, and the Yamaha, what is it? Stage uh, Custom. Stage Custom. Yeah. That's just to name a few. Everyone has one in that price range. I think honestly, and we might not have talked about this last time. Since it's for recording, I think the sizes are going to be more important than who makes it. Yeah, you know, that's a good you point. Want a versatile kit. Yeah, you I don't, don't think you want the um, standard, you know, old school 12, 13, 16, 22. That's not going to get right? you enough. I think you need a yeah a twenty. I think you could do a twenty twelve sixteen, and you could probably cover every genre. Yeah, and then you can always bring on as long as it's by a major company that's not going out of business anytime too soon. You can always bring on a ten and a fourteen later. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say twenty twelve sixteen would would definitely have you covered. Fourteen by five and a half snare. You can go six and a half if you want a little more versatility. Um, but you would easily be able to find something like that for in that range. What I wouldn't do is drop down and be like, oh, well, you said anyone makes one, so let me get. Thomas 499 kit. There is a difference. There's the entry-level kit, and then there's that intermediate kit, but that intermediate kit is now what we used to consider a professional-level kit. They look great, and they sound amazing, and they're made with impeccable quality control. So I think uh, think you're going to be just fine. I think, now that we think about it, you could probably find one of those kits for the 750 price, I think, like a Catalina Club. Then I would spend that extra... 250 bucks on getting a, a nice snare drum so you have a second Absolutely. snare drum the one that's going to yep. come with it especially if it's one of those wood shell drums those yeah. those are the for my opinion those are the weak link in those kits it's those wood Agreed. shell matching snare yep. drums because the wood is not of a quality that it should be to make a snare drum out of uh, but if you get a metal drum you find out you can get a 250 dollar brass drum easily that's going to sound amazing so that's what i would do all right our there last one is from adam I guess he hasn't been listening to the show because this is all we've been talking about. But he's saying, <laughs> how do you practice? How can you to- never <laughs> mention Mark Juliana and Dave Weckl? Have you ever heard huh? of this guy, Dave Weckl? <laughs> how do you practice to develop good time? On one hand, I think drummers take the lion's share of the blame if a group speeds up or slows down. But it wouldn't bother me as much if I was more confident in my own time. Can you recommend some specific exercises to develop this? Uh, I think I, s- I would suggest a metronome. That's my number one thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Always start songs at the same tempo if you're playing. You know, if you're playing songs that need to start and stop at the same tempo, start it with a, a metronome every time. That way, there's no questions because it always, without fail, the band hears stuff slower on stage than it actually is because your adrenaline's pumping. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks speed it up, pep it up. The audience wants you know it's and it's it's a it's a fall. It's such a false. Uh, I mean, it happens to me almost every gig where it's just trust me. The people out there aren't feeling it the way we're feeling it. We're going to just sound like we're spazzing out. Let's chill out. And let's play it at the regular tempo. Every uh, time I've ever done a clinic, I, I can swear that there's a power surge and my laptop is playing my play along MIDI tracks slower <laughs> than I've ever practiced them. Yeah. You know, it, like Freedom Lands just burn. <laughs> And I'm like, what? It was there's no way it dropped 40 BPM, and it's just you're right, it's just adrenaline. Yeah, that's number um, one. And then I think uh, that live BPM app is a great tool just to monitor. I would not use it on a gig so much because then you'll kind of take yourself obsessed. out of the moment. But in a rehearsal, just turn it on, throw it you know away from you so you can't look at it. And then yeah. you know, at the end of the song, you can see on the map of that app like, oh, we we sped up or slowed down or we were right. more solid than I thought. 
that's as far as just things that kind of mitigate the issues of the the singer says we're too slow or the bass player says we're too fast and you're the one getting all the blame for it yeah uh i i want to save the huge chunk of this for next week's episode but i was getting ready to teach a class on time at the 21 drums drum camp and i just happened to have a free half hour before the class started it was a break and i grabbed mark and ash and i just said hey I'm about to teach a 90-minute class on how to work on your time. You guys have you guys are two of the best timing drummers in the world. Let's talk about it. And I, I can't even tell you how much I grew from that 30-minute conversation. Mm. Completely changed my perspective and kept a lot of things intact. And what was great is uh, we figured out a balance between time gimmicks and really rocking your time. Yeah. Uh, the the end of the conversation was work on your time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter what it takes to make you do that, but at the end we all agreed that if you could put in t- an hour per day playing with a click track on the downbeat, that would be just as good as anything in the world. It's just the problem the problem is that most people can't. It's just yeah. too monotonous. The end result is: Have did you care about time for a straight hour today, or for however long? Yeah, yeah. There's what a, does it take to do that? Yeah, sometimes the gimmicks are what gets me to play. Yeah, you know? there's definitely a difference um, between turning a metronome on and just going nuts and then never actually honing in anything. Totally. Versus that, just put a metronome on and be focused on nothing but the metronome, and then can you put all of your drum stuff into that time period? I mean, yeah, it's a different mindset. I think that's. And I think just the fact that you have interest in it means that you're going to focus on it and you're going to get better at it. And the key word is confidence. For me, it was the unknowing. Am I speeding up? Am I slowing down? That that derailed right. gigs. It made me hate playing shows. It was like, right. I just, I'm never going to get this. But now that I, I can feel it when I'm speeding up and slowing down and I, I have a perception of subdivisions that is way more detailed than it ever was before, I now know that, sorry, guitar player, you're rushing get back on the train <laughs> you know? yeah 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 no i, I, you I can't think it's fake that, that. you so, can't be like i'm right and, and then you listen back. no you need to know and and that does come from working on your time i'm hearing time better than i ever have um i'm i'm watching videos differently i was just watching some videos on i i did order the op1 so we'll do a review on it oh um, cool but uh i'm watching videos on how to use it and there's guys programming their stuff and i'm like I can hear that their fingers are ru- like, oh, you rushed it, man. That loop's going to feel weird every time it comes around because you rushed right at the end. There's no way I could have heard that five months ago before I was obsessing on time. So, um, so yeah, you'll, you'll kind of know. But uh, just listen next week and we'll give you more because I really want to talk about the conversation Mark Ash and I had because they are two of the leaders in the world at that stuff. So Dig it. So where are we at now? All right. Picks of the week? We're at picks of the week, buddy. All right. What the heck was my pick of the week? Oh, I think I really – I kind of muffed the pick of the week last – on version one. So, <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> yeah, it's it's – it's a it's a plugin. It's a free plugin. It is called. It's by a company called. I'm going to muff it again. It's called Audio Assault. And if you search Audio oh, Assault yeah. free plugin transient, you're going to get this thing. And I use this on every video I do for social media because it's essentially a compressor that that you can dial in the attack and the sustain independently and you don't need to know anything about thresholds or ratios or knees or any of that stuff so you turn the attack knob up it makes it punchier turn sustain knob up it makes it more sustain 
and that it really helps get the you know, if you're trying to translate something to like iPhone speakers or computer speakers, it just adds that extra bit of punch and and compression level. It just it just boosts everything without it being like a pumping compression. It doesn't pump right. at all. Okay. Uh, so it's it's free. At least it was when I got it. I'm sure you can still find it. It's essentially a a, a, a replica of the Transient Designer, which is a super popular plugin that, and I think it was actually a hardware piece that's probably on every major recording that's that's ever made in the past ten years. Nice. It's just an awesome thing for drums to just give a little extra snap and a little extra sound without you actually hearing the compression working. So Transient by Audio Assault. Put it on all of your Instagram videos. You'll thank me later. Boom. There you go. Do you have any idea what my pick of the week was last time? Uh, nope. It wasn't the float tank, was it? <laughs> that was two weeks ago, right? Uh, uh, no no big deal. I'll, I'll tell you what my pick of the week is this time. I just I just didn't want to. I, I didn't know if it was one of those groundbreaking ones where I'm like, this is going to change the game. And then you're like, yeah, and you need to get this drum key. I'm like, all right. Man. I won the pick of the week battle. I think it was, um, but I didn't write it down. That's okay. So uh, if I haven't mentioned this before, uh, I'm going to mention it now. Um, masterclass.com. So you know it must be good if an online teacher is going out of his way to direct you to another online lesson website. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so masterclass.com is clearly well-funded, and these are – amazing masterclasses by the leaders in their field. So we're talking about Kevin Spacey is teaching acting. Dead Mouse is teaching electronic music production. Herbie Hancock is teaching jazz. Uh, and so I bought my first one. They're not cheap. They're $100 for the masterclass, but you're dealing with about 22 hours of, of lessons. They come with PDFs and everything. You've got Hans Zimmer teaching film scoring. Uh, Christina Aguilera teaching singing. Uh, Usher is teaching the art of performance. And I think, honestly, every drummer can get something out of out of these things. And so I paid for the Kevin Spacey um, mm. masterclass, with, which is him teaching acting. And the reason why I did that is because most of my professional life right now is on camera. And the better that I can communicate with that camera and communicate my emotions and my intent, the, the better and more honest my productions are going to be. Mm. So... It's not about acting in a false sense. It's about how do I convey what I'm feeling inside to a camera lens. And I have to tell you, this stuff is well done. I don't know who funded it, but it is, uh, it's high production stuff. Yeah, you sent me the, the preview of the Herbie Hancock one. And I think he's probably an exception to the rule. I think he's always been a great educator and a great speaker. Mm-hmm. But what is it that they do differently that makes it so much better? Because... You think of early drum videos. I mean, the first Steve Gadd video, if it wasn't for the fact that his drumming was just next level, I mean, he really had a hard time articulating what he was trying to say. But I bet if you put him through this production crew, it would mm-hmm. be like the holy grail of Steve Gadd. Well, okay, here's here's my thought on that. There's also the fact that we are uh, 2006. is uh, Well, 2005, YouTube launched. 2006, they were acquired by Google, I believe. So we are 12 years into a society where we're on camera all the time. So I think Herbie's been doing interviews since he was playing with Miles, but now he's doing documentaries. You know, if you watch a Herbie Hancock possibilities, it's, it's all performance and him speaking to the camera. So Mm. 
I think it's just a different world. But yeah, you're dealing with something where, you know, maybe even the production company that did the stuff with Steve Gadd in the beginning, maybe they didn't know how to do educational format video where it's like, well, how far do we keep the camera from Steve's face? Too close, he creeps you out. Too far, you can't connect with his eyes. Uh, so I think it's a little bit of everything. It's proper lighting, uh, yeah. it's set design. It, it's okay. I'll put it this way, and then we can wrap this. But I asked Ash, "Do preamps matter?" I'm gonna. Don't worry, guys. I'm gonna wrap this back around. <laughs> I was asking, should I invest? You know, two grand on a on a Neve Pre for one channel or whatever they cost. And he said that it was explained to him like this: a preamp will give you three, maybe two to three percent better sound. A great microphone will give you two to three percent better sound. Well-tuned drums will give you five percent better sound. Playing in time will give you ten percent better sound. So, no, the preamps won't really matter. But when you add them together with everything else, it'll completely matter because it'll add up to forty percent better sound. Yeah, right. I kind of feel like what's going on here is you've got great lighting directors. It's like cool, good lighting, three percent. Yeah, you've got. High quality cameras, great, three percent. But you put it all together, and yeah, it's a high quality production. And there's probably um, storyboarding, right? Whereas those early that's what, drum videos, it was like, oh, we got an hour, turn the camera on, and let's just talk, and then we'll. The Yogi Horton thing, right? Yeah. Like they just said, let it roll, dog. <laughs> <laughs> He's just over there. Yeah. Just I mean, imagine know. if his video would have been cut down to 15 minutes if they just would have done an editing. It honestly would be quite a bit more legendary than it is. Yeah. You know. Because really, think about it, most drummers, that Yogi Horton video is 15 minutes. The amount of time that they skip around, they only get 15 minutes of content as yeah. they scrub through the video waiting for him to play again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, check out masterclass.com. I actually love that it's $99 because you, you don't just frivolously go and I'll get that one and that one and that. You're like, <laughs> uh, I mean, for like a week, I was like, eh, Kevin Spacey, S- Steve Martin, should I get more comedy? Like, uh and you probably you know, some, watch it way more because you've got to get $99 out of it. Dude, I watch – I'm on the second class right now, but I've seen the first and the second class four times because I'm making sure, do I really have this down? Um, so, yeah. So, anyways, check it out, masterclass.com. Those are our picks of the week. Guys, thank you so much. Thanks for being patient with us about episode <laughs> 105.2 on your FM dial. We will be back <laughs> next week with episode 106. And I will not fly anywhere until it's mailed and Mike Dawson texts me a thumbs up emoji. Oh, man. So lesson learned, kids. Never send mm-hmm. things due the day before that they need to actually be there. You know, I'm Especially when you're flying to a, different to a place country. that doesn't have internet. It's Sunday. Here's your files. Adios, amigo. Hey, by the way, uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> weird. The podcast is 45 seconds long. I'm like, yeah, yeah. My my students' groove was so hot, I figured you could just loop that for an hour. Uh, man, okay, I'm done picking on you. It's my turn to screw something up. Maybe this one will be uh, corrupt. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. I'll talk to you soon, buddy. See you.